Psychology in Seattle. So, Umberto, I thought we would do an episode in which we answered a lot of people's questions and we went into some very different things. I, th- I think we have some exciting things to talk about today and we'll eventually get to some story that you've been waiting to tell me about Bogota. Right. So I can't wait to hear this because for the past two episodes, you said, okay, I got a story yeah, about a story Bogota. About- <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we'll get to it. And we never get to it. So I, it better be good. Oh, God. Now it's going to be underwhelming. <laughs> this, this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I drive around a pop truck. So this first bit is a new thing that I decided to do. A listener, a patron, Colin, actually sent us an audio clip for us to listen to, and then we'll react to it. What do you say, Umberto? Oh, yeah, let's do it. With this, I kind of thought of it as a unique way to introduce myself to your listeners if I am going to be doing reflections or episode starters. Um, it, it's something that I just recently went through that I think a lot of people go through at, at varying degrees because there's this overarching idea that you shouldn't be super vulnerable in a relationship at all, but especially at the beginning of a relationship. Um, and there's an emphasis, especially in modern dating and in playing games, um, but specifically, I, I want to talk about the abrupt cutoff and the retreat, because I think that that's a part of, um, especially online dating, when you meet somebody online, and then even if you meet them in person, but dating in general for, um, I can only speak for myself, I'm a 28-year-old gay man in Texas, but I think a lot of people have this issue, um, regardless of orientation, sex, or race. Um, so, so anyway, um, feel free to use this as an episode starter. If you do think there's some merit to it or, um, hit me back. If you think that there's, uh, some stuff that's interesting about this, but you want me to talk about it with more people, um, totally up to you. So I recently started dating this guy. We met on Tinder and to be honest, I haven't had Tinder for a super long time. I've had Grindr for a long time, but a friend of mine was just recently like, why do you think you're not having lasting success? Like most gays on Grindr are looking for a quick fix. D- get Tinder. And, and and stupidly, I thought, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought that was just for straight people. And he's like, why are you such a dumbass? No, 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 no. Like get Tinder. You can be gay on Tinder. It's fine. So I get Tinder, and the only success that I had was meeting this guy who worked at State Farm. Um, and no, his name is not Jake. But for the purposes of anonymity, I'm going to call him Jake. So Jake's younger than me, and he's so, so he's 21 and I'm 28. I didn't let that stop me because I told myself that at the end of the day, you know, it's about your emotional connection and people develop at different stages. And maybe he's an early bloomer and I'm a late bloomer and it's perfect. Um, I, I don't put a big stress on age as long as like they're old enough to consent and you know both parties are happy with each other. So it was going great. We had a wonderful first date. And to be honest, it was one of the most successful first dates I ever had. And I was listening to the signals as, as we were continuing to talk. He was texting me. And I was like, oh my God, that, that's terrific. Like I am not initiating everything. I, I tend to be, um, a planner. I'm very, very enthusiastic about, uh, making plans with people. I have my own life. I have my family. I have my creative endeavors, but I, I make time for the people that I care about. And, and so sometimes I think that makes people feel uncomfortable. Like they have an obligation. 
Anyway, so so that was that was refreshing. He was different in that regard. And the conversations they they flowed both in person and through text. We texted all the time. And and I I was again very happy that he texted me often and I liked it. And that I wasn't texting him, you know, out of this fear response like, "Oh, he's we're we're not talking." Uh, maybe I should initiate something just to make sure he still likes me. It was, it was just natural. Um, and, and we were having fun. So we went on a couple of dates and, and they were successful. He, he and I, we said some silly things. I mean, we, we got very goobery over each other. Like he said that I was, you know, his dream guy. I thought, yeah, like, I feel like we're in soulmate territory. Of course I, you know, as an Enneagram four, I tend to romanticize my partners, especially in the early stages. So I, I check myself with kind of like self-deprecating humor and I'm like, oh yeah, like just so you know, like I'm not going to freak you out or anything, but, um, yeah, like you're pretty fucking awesome. And, and, and I'd soulmate you in a second, you know, just dumb. That's not cool. I'm not cool, but you know, just silly things to like protect myself anyway. So we had uh, a night together. It was the first time that we actually slept together. This was the third date. And it, it went well. Uh, as much as you can even tell that it goes well, you know, I, I'm not in his brain, so I don't know if he enjoyed our encounter. But there's, I, I won't go too deep into it, but there, there's evidence, there was evidence, physical evidence of his um, enjoyment. Um, and sort of before we got in bed and and then a little bit after we we started divulging some information it, it was just that kind of night maybe it was just being the third date or or it was just the the heat of the night i don't know but we were talking about you know things that were kind of x factory so he was telling me about a time where he was hit on the back of a head with a bottle because he was holding uh his boyfriend at the time um you know around the waist and some redneck didn't like that and he was traumatized by it. And he still deals with that to this day. That's why, like, on our second date, he had to tell me to stop kissing him in public because I'm much more comfortable with that. But he's afraid. He he doesn't want to really kiss in the open because he thinks he's going to get attacked, which is a whole other thing um, that's horrible that we still have to worry about. But um, but yeah, so – and then and I was talking about some some kinks that I had and some of the ways that I like to express those kinks. And this episode isn't about that, but – that's um that's something that I, I like to do. I and I guess some people would uh, say that maybe there's a degree of separation that should be applied when you're revealing your interests in the bedroom to your partner. Maybe it's more about the action and less about the talk. But I like to communicate it, and um and I think that that's really with with some people okay because it's uh it can be exciting and i've had good experiences where people have heard like oh you're into that like that's a little different um but it's intriguing and so he and i had talked briefly about that before this third date over the phone and through texts so he knew that i had some fetishy tendencies but once i said it out loud and once his trauma was out in the open it was like there was no coming back from that. Some, and, then, and then he had to rush home after the end of that date because of an emergency outside of us. He's, he's, still, he's about to finish up his undergraduate degree, and he had an assignment due date you know, misconception, and, and one of his friends alerted him to that fact. So he had to rush home to finish his homework. 
which again, like, you know, I never saw his phone. Maybe there was no assignment at all. I don't, I don't know. But it just, it just got me thinking because the next day I didn't hear from him at all. And he had told me a few of the things that he had planned. So I knew that he was busy, but it just struck me as bizarre because that night I sent him a sonnet. He seemed to be struggling and I, I went back to my room and thought about our night and I, I sent it to him. Of course, maybe he didn't like the sonnet, but at the end of the day, I mean, if somebody were to write me a sonnet, I probably would say something. And, and I saw his behavior with his phone. I know that he's not somebody that leaves his phone away and can't send a text. So his lack of response was already indicative that something had changed for the negative. Well, we talked the next day, and he told me that he didn't want to see me anymore. I I asked him why, and he said, well, and, and specifically I asked him if I had overwhelmed him with, like, doing things like sending him poetry because some people are really uncomfortable with that. And I understand that. Even though I I would say that I prefaced with, tell me if I need to pump the brakes, I don't want to over-romanticize you. Um, but anyway, he said, no, it's not that he didn't feel comfortable. It's that he didn't feel like we were on the same page in terms of how casual we needed to be. Now... This is the thing. There's a little bit of hypocrisy there. What he said in these texts, what he said when we were out together, were things that indicated attraction, romance, dating in the future. And he would say, I like it. I like when people are romantic. I want you to say these things to me. I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to be honest. I want you to be truthful. I want you to share. I want you to be yourself. So then when he abruptly ended it, using that as the reason for abruptly ending it, there just seemed to be a lot of lies attached to that. A lot of unspoken issues that he was going through that manifested as, well, guess what? I just, I just can't deal with it. And I think that that's something that we're doing a lot right now. And in our, in our landscape, you know, you can start dating in so many different ways. You can go to the bar, sure. You can meet people through friends, of course. But you can also just meet anybody from any country at any time if they have an online presence. So I think it's just like options, People just have a fuck ton of options. So this guy was probably just the whole time, and I'm not referencing his age at all in this, he's probably just using me for practice, trying things on, trying me on as somebody who could be his soulmate, somebody who could be his dream boy. And he said that I was. He said it was the best first date he'd ever been on. He said he loved kissing me. All of the things that you want to hear, all of the things that indicate that you should still date this person, he did and said. Which is why it's so confusing when you get ghosted. 
So I don't really have a point. All I'm saying is I I think there's um, a kind of worry that we all have that we're, you know, going too committed too fast. But not often because we're, we feel like it's unnatural and that's not how we feel, but we rationalize ourselves, ourselves out of a relationship. It's not the right time. I'm too young. There's another person out there who's better for me. This is happening too fast. It becomes this backwards thing that doesn't really bring you more happiness. It just brings you more time apart from people and brings you into a situation where you're more likely to meet somebody else. Of course, he may have just not really liked me. It doesn't really make all that much sense why he would have done the things that he did while we were going out, why he would have said the things that he did. But it certainly makes me feel like I shouldn't really put myself out there. You know, that's the danger of somebody, you know, of being somebody who in a relationship doesn't really play games, who tries to respond organically, authentically, you know, and empathically to the person that they're with, doesn't try to push too many ideas, you know, or idealizations onto a situation or person. You just kind of go for it. If you want to write a sonnet, you send it. If you want to send them flowers, you send it. But maybe that's not what we should do. Maybe it behooves us all to play a few games. And maybe we should all be aware that we're always shopping. You know, we're always one click away from another hookup, another meetup. So you don't have to really invest in talking to somebody when it gets tricky. So when somebody brings up a kink that you're confused about, when somebody gets you to, you know, or, or enables you to talk about a trauma that you've suffered and now you're all of a sudden, you know, not perfect, like you don't have to deal with that anymore. You can just leave them in the dust. So I think that we're in some ways becoming, it's easier to communicate, but I think it's harder to, uh, you know, substantiate real authentic connection right now because we're afraid of being romantic and we're afraid of talking about difficult things. Instead of doing those two things, we just move on to somebody we can be more casual with. All right. What do you think, Berto? Wow. That was intense, man. That was, uh, very moving. I, I I could feel the. I'm assuming this is a real story. He presents it as a real story that this happened to him. Other than the change of the name, and no, no, it's his name, Colin. No, no, the change of the other guy's name. Oh, yeah. And so I, I mean, I, I feel, I feel this pain, you know, and that, that feeling of how much should I reveal? Like the whole thing is stressful from the start, right? It's like, okay. I, I, I need to not reveal too much. Oh, but I need to reveal some about me. Maybe I should, t- I really want to text them right now. But if I text them right now, that'll be overwhelming. But if I don't text them, maybe they'll feel I'm not texting. It's just it's such a brain drain, you know? Yeah. And then in this case, and of course we're just hearing his side of the story, but it really is confusing why 
the sudden dramatic change, right? It, it, from the information he's presenting, it seems like it was a very big turn, like a 180. So that's very confusing for the person dealing with it. Even, even if it was something they did, clearly he's not quite aware of what that was. So it's like, what, what just happened? I thought we were really connecting here. Yeah, it's awful to uh, find someone, fi- finally find someone to have a date with. Right. Finally have someone who you really connect with in the first couple dates, who you can even envision yourself spending the rest of your life with this person, be- right. being a soulmate with this person. It's such a rare thing to find. And to you know, have that security and that, um, hope and the uh, ecstasy of falling in love right. and to have that so suddenly ripped out from underneath you is horrible. <laughs> it is the reason why we have art and music and, you know, TV shows and movies is because of this very thing yeah. of falling in love and having it end. Um, every slow song, every uh, every Smith song, every Depeche Mode song. I want you to want me. <laughs> uh, some cheap trick songs. <laughs> so it's it's awful. Yeah, I get it. Um, and you're talking, Colin. You're saying like you want to retreat and give up. And I get that too. I think that's a totally understandable impulse to have but kate bush said it best don't give up because you have friends uh so now let's get into uh what you're saying here so he's saying he was ghosted do you think he was ghosted Amaro? not entirely ghosted because he had some resolution he actually said i don't want to date you anymore yeah I- he wasn't ghosted at all, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess I, I'm not up with the hip terms these days. But Well, ghosting is if you're dating someone yeah. or you're friends with someone and you're in a relationship yeah. with someone and there's a back and forth, right? Yep. There's a, a call, then a call back. There's a text and a text back. There's an email and an email back. And you see each other and some, you know, sometimes you don't. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... Nothing. You just stop replying. Which I've done one time in my life and I still regret it. Right. So you told a story about in high school, yep. you met a girl and started dating her and you... We had a great time. And and then she called you and you just wouldn't answer the I phone. I wouldn't answer the phone. I ghosted her. It and was horrible. For, and didn't talk to her for years, right? For No, I saw her one year later. Maybe I'm getting my timeline wrong. I saw her at least one year later and she had, she had gotten married. Okay. So... For it, if, if, as far as she knew, she, you guys were still a thing. Yeah. And then she calls you, no reply. She calls you again, no reply. She's probably thinking, well, he'll get back to me. Yeah. Never He's got. Busy. Th- that's ghosting. Yeah, that's ghosting. Okay. What Colin only, went, only psychopaths do that. What Colin went through was getting broken up with. Yeah. He was he was dumped. Yeah. He was, and relationship ended. Right. Termination. That's what happened. It wasn't, it wasn't ghosting. I know how it, it can feel like ghosting, but. If, if I can understand that from the perspective of like, you're having these constant communications and all of a sudden you're not. And you know why? Because they told you, I'm not going to. 
but it still feels so empty. Yeah, it feels horrible. Yeah. But it's not ghosting. So the thing I'll say about this is I get a lot of emails f- about this very thing from people of all sexual orientations and all genders. It's a universal experience. Yeah. To I think particularly for younger people or I don't know, it seems to be kind of a narrative today. So actually, you know, one question that I don't really know the answer to is he's saying, and other people will say this too, that people are dating differently these days. I hear that a lot. That they have options. Right. That they never, um, that it's hard to have a long-term relationship. So if you're one of the, so the narrative is, for Colin's not saying this precisely, but other people will say this, is I want to have a real relationship. Right. I want to have a long-term relationship. And the way you meet people sometimes is, well, even if you meet someone uh, in real life, there's this, and they break, and it doesn't work out, there's this narrative that the person who got broken up with that they'll develop is, oh, you know, Tinder means the next hookup is, is just one click away. Right. And so that's why I'm being rejected because this culture, hookup culture, is ruining long-term relationships. It's it's ruining our society. It's ruining young people today. They're not saying this exactly, but the wording that they're using is very much saying this. Mm-hmm. Do you think I'm capturing it? I think I've heard that as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's true. I suspect it's not because human beings have the same needs and wants today as they did before the internet, before Tinder. Yeah, I, I, I feel I feel like it's actually as funny as I was listening to this. I was in my head thinking, man, what was this like back before any electronic communication? So when you'd have to write a letter and deliver it via some sort of mechanism, not even post office, let's go 200 years back, right? And I was thinking like, well, what was that like? Because you'd meet someone and they live like, sort of close but it's still like a horse ride away or something because they were over at some festival or some party that your family threw or something and you make a connection and you can't text them so you can't overwhelm them with your texts i guess you can write a lot of letters you could show up at their house a lot <laughs> if if that was easy but you know maybe maybe transportation is not that easy right well part of this is people were mostly set up to be married in yeah. the past so it's so dating in and of <laughs> itself is Kind of a new thing. Right. It's hard to know the way we were 200,000 years ago yeah. if we just quote unquote dated people or were set up or whatever. Uh, but it's you, hard to know. You, you sure as heck couldn't text message someone at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know? <laughs> right. So the needs are the same for yeah. people today as they were back then. Every, almost everyone has a romantic need and, right. and, 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 Everyone has a need for attachment and most people have a need for sex and right. it doesn't matter what orientation you are or gender you are. It's, it, it, there's just most people want to have a long-term relationship. Now, some people want a polyamorous long-term relationship uh, or uh, one long-term relationship and other short relationships, but most people want a long-term relationship. Now, what does that look like? It can look like a romantic long-term relationship like marriage or it could look like three best friends that you're friends with forever, and um, that's what your long-term relationship right. looks like. So, or your family or something. The, everyone needs that security of p- 
people who are dedicated, they can depend on people who know their history, people who uh, they just can depend on. And so uh, for some now, so the question is, is are people different today and behave differently today than, than they did in the past? I would say that it's possible that for young people today or really anyone, because old people have access to Tinder too, that for those people who aren't really ready for a long-term relationship or they, they don't necessarily know if this is the right relationship for them, that they might actually be more likely to break up sooner because in the past 20 years ago, you say you, you finally meet someone because yeah. it's so hard to meet someone. You go on a few dates and you're like, uh, I don't, I don't think this is, I don't think it's going to work. Right. But it took me like two years to find, <laughs> to find anybody to date. Right. So I guess I'll give this a try. So maybe in today's world, it's like, well, you know, yeah, I'm not really into this person. And man, there's thousands of people on Tinder waiting for me right now. Let's yeah. go for it. Now, to be clear, people on Tinder, very few of them are on there, quote unquote, hooking up. The vast majority of people that I know uh, very closely use Tinder as a dating app where they it's just the first introduction and it's not used for sex. I know people who have been married from Tinder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it's uh, it's 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 if you use Tinder, you know that. Um, and if you don't use Tinder that way. Now, Grindr, Colin, you talked about Grindr. I don't know what the culture is there. Um, in, I definitely do know from my gay clients and gay friends and colleagues that uh, gay men culture is much more on the spectrum of things oriented towards hooking up. Sure. That it's uh, much more likely that if you meet someone, a one-night stand is absolutely part of the picture. Uh, I mean, the name of the app is Grinder. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder, but, you know, Tinder originally was absolutely associated with just having sure. sex. And I wonder if Grinder has a long-term relationship element to it. Because, again, right. gay yeah. men want a long-term relationship just like everybody else does. Right. So, so anyway, the quite, so I, I actually don't know. It'd be hard to research this, of course. I I generally tend to think that it's not that because I've, I've lived long enough to have heard the same things being said about the current times. So yeah. when I was in my 20s, I remember people having similar conclusions, like in college or in, you know, when we were in yeah. our 20s, people would be like, oh, you know, no, everyone's so commitment phobic these days. Yeah. No one wants to commit. And that was the big thing, particularly women against men. They would be like, sure. oh, man, they, they never want to commit. They just want to, you know, live. They just want to be free. <laughs> and, of course, that's not true. Men, in, when I was in my 20s, this is the 90s, right. had the same attachment needs as they ever did. Yeah, marriage rates didn't plummet to zero then. Right. So it, it, it can feel that way because of your, your experiences that you've, that you've had. Yeah. But... And I can see how that would be the conclusion because, you, you know, Colin, you sounds like you fell in love with someone or in that direction. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're just gone. Yeah. And you have this vision in your mind of, well, you know, he's just going to go right back to Grinder and Tinder 
and whatever. And he's just going to hook up with people and he doesn't care. And he, you know, but in all likelihood, that guy is just as desperate for a soulmate as you are. Mm-hmm. He just, for whatever reason, didn't think it was you. Yeah. And that's the other thing is it's hard for us to know anything about why he broke up with you. That this is one of the things I wanted. This, this goes to everyone. Cause I get a number of emails about this is that when someone breaks up with you, they don't have an incentive to tell you the truth. Right. They have an incentive to tell you what's convenient to tell you. Yeah. Like they have a, if, if you're breaking up with someone because you're repulsed by them, yeah. you're not going to say, well, you repulsed me. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to say anything that needs to be said as a reason that will be the least offensive and least bothersome yeah. t- for both people. And so whenever anyone breaks up with you, unless you really know them well and you can really talk about or you know their ongoing gripes with you, but after two or three dates, there's no way to know, you really have no idea why they really broke up with you. Right. This guy could have, uh, you talked about his traumas. That he, ta- he could have had a massive PTSD reaction to you and he's just running for the hills. He might not date for another five years. Yeah. You don't know that. He might have a, uh, he, a boyfriend uh, that he is like, you know what? I want to go back to him. Yeah. But he doesn't want to say that because he, for whatever reason, he just yeah. wants to say what he said. He could have had sex with you and found it to be incredibly unappealing. Yeah. But he's not going to say that because why would you want to hurt someone's feelings? Right. Um, it could be exactly what he said, but I, you know, you're drawing all this. The other thing is, is Colin, again, totally empathize with your situation. It sucks to be dumped. It's one of the worst things you can go through. And, and I want to be explicit why it's awful. Not that this is actually what's happening, but you give someone your all. Right. You open all of it open. Open kimono. Your, <laughs> your soul, your mind, your plans. You even hand over your future to this person. Right. Your body, your insecurities, your kinks. You hand over everything to this person and they just, and they say, nope, I don't want it. Right. That is a awful feeling. Yeah. It's one thing to be fired from a job. Right. I don't like the way you work at this job. You know, that's only half of your ego, let's say, which is awful to be to be fired from a job is awful. But to hand over your mind, soul and body and your future and your love and to do it willingly and, you know, hopefully and to have that person just be like, nope, I don't want it next. I, you know, not appealing, Uh, not not even appealing enough to to try it a few more times. Yeah. Just like tried it. No. And that is not the way one should see it. Right. Because everyone, you know, relations, most relationships end. Right. But that's how it feels. And, and it's rational to kind of see it that way. I, I also can personally relate to uh, him in a couple of ways, because I am uh, also someone that if we're up to me, man, we're just talking about our entire lives right from the start. And that, you know, and I, and I do sometimes when I meet people, I just tell them a lot about myself and that can be very overwhelming for people. I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he did this, but I do this <laughs> and it can be overwhelming for people. But, but in my mind, I'm like, what? Take it. 
Like, what's wrong with a little conversation, damn it? <laughs> but did it ever cause people to run away? Oh, all the time. Like, I mean, like people that I meet. I mean, I've met people with you that that <laughs> felt overwhelmed by me. How right? did you interpret that? Well, sometimes it's like, well, okay, there, there's, there's gradients, but there are definitely times where I, I met someone at a party or something, and then I, after a while, I'm like, oh, I, I don't think they want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> Do you ever interpret the way Colin did? Uh, interpret it like as in that I got ghosted people. No. Well, pe uh, people these days. Oh no, no, no. It's all, I always, I always attribute it to a, I'm an acquired taste and B they don't have taste. <laughs> right. Not I'm a horrible person. No, not that person is a horrible person. No, not society today is a horrible society. Right. It's well, I guess I'm an acquired taste Yeah, and I'm a good person. And I guess we're not a good match. But I'm also, I mean, I'm a lot older and I've been through a lot of years. When I was younger, I, it certainly hit me a lot harder. Right. Rejection hits a lot harder the younger you are, I think, because you're like, but I, my parents or whoever made me feel like I was the center of the universe. How can I not be the center of the universe? Yeah. Having said that, being older does not protect one from the sheer pain of being dumped. Fair enough. I, uh, I, I, I can see that. I, I think when you're younger, maybe you're more prone to distortions around it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you could be 65 and ha go through tremendous pain. That's fair. I guess I feel a little bit of this, like, um, you know, I look, I, f I look back to moments where I felt rejected when I was young. And I had enough narcissism or whatever in me to still not take it to heart about me but it really like hurt you know right it, i think part of the thing that protected you was your uh, well you you had enough attachment security growing up that it protected you yeah your dad was there most of the time your grandparents had a lot of family around right me. your grandparents your aunts so that protected you giving you the notion having good working models of self and others right and that's really what we're talking about here is what is your working model? And it looks like Colin has a working model of other people that is, um, that is being shown here. Yeah. He, you know, so I, the way he interprets the event really, I think, shows how he's been treated in the past. Mm -hmm. I suspect Colin has been treated uh, not well. Yeah. Of course, he's not my client. I don't know. He hasn't said anything, and he's a good guy, and we've we've talked on the phone. Because he actually, the reason why he sent in this clip was because when I sent out a call for anyone who wants to intern for the podcast, he replied with uh, a lot of really great ideas. I yeah. mean, just fantastic. And the one that we eventually landed on was this, where he yeah. would send in the audio. Very and, personal. And, well, what I, what I thought he was going to do was he said he was going to interview other people. Uh-huh. And, or just have a little five-minute conversation about something, and then we would riff on it. Um, I didn't expect him to send something so so, so, touching, so, in, so yeah. intense. And so on some level, I'm a little worried about how he's going to interpret what I'm about to say. But uh, So I hope he um, takes it well, honestly. So, Colin, I hope you take this well. Um, the uh, Again, like I said, you can't really know exactly why he broke up with you. That's just going to be a big question mark. Um, unless you have access to his journal or something, you just, it's just hard to know. Uh, 
but the things that you're concluding are you're saying essentially people these days are different, which kind of says you're doomed. You're also saying people have too many options. Uh, you also said the phrase that he was just using you for practice, mm-hmm. which I find to be quite an interesting phrase to use. Yeah. It's one thing to think kids these days, people these days mm-hmm. are frivolous and um, noncommittal and uh, like to keep their options open too much. That That's one thing to say. I, I don't think that's accurate, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think it's... I think it's accurate for young people to be dumped a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's common. But I don't think that's accurate. But, you know, it could be. You know, there could yeah. be a slight curve shift from people. And, and I'm guessing that's true that because if we compare ourselves to 50 years ago, people got married when they were 20 right, right, right. or 23. Yeah. And when we were in our 20s, people were getting married in there when they're 27. Yeah, mid to late 20s. And when uh, people today, on average, it's probably in terms of privileged white people, really, if we're looking at it, are being married probably around 30 or something on, on average or something. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, 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 there, that could be part of it, but it can't be that much of it because we're only talking about a, a bell curve that's shifted one or two years in the past yeah. th- 30 years. And as a point of comparison... Uh, most of my friends from my generation that grew up in Colombia, which are affected by not exactly the same um, social movements at the same time and things like that, uh, they were getting married much older already than me and my generation here in this country for totally different reasons that had nothing to do with grinders or tinders or any of that. It was all about financial stability and people living longer with their families at home till they leave the house and things like that. And Right. Financial know. stability, one, uh, changing cultural mores. Yep. And um, also education around birth control yep. is also a big thing. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, yeah. uh, usually having to do with improving the uh, lives of groups of people right. tends to make people wait longer. Uh, anyway, now this isn't to say that people aren't having long-term relationships yeah. when they're young, because they certainly do. It's just that they wait to get married later. Anyway, uh, so you're saying, you know, but so there's that. Maybe there's some truth that hard to say. Certainly, there can be pockets of that. I'll give that to some people. I'm sure I'll get some emails from people saying, like, no, you don't understand. People today, you're old. You know, you don't get this. It's it's different now. So maybe that's true. But to say that he was just using you for practice, that's quite a conclusion. And I'm not defending the dude. The dude could be an asshole. Right. right he right. could be a jerk. He could be the next Hitler. I don't know. And I don't care. What I do care, Colin, is about your story that you're telling yourself about this, because that will determine a lot about the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you determine and land on the story that he was just using you for practice, that's sadistic. That's yeah. psychopathic. To trick you into a, a soulmate relationship in a couple of dates, to practice on you, that is, if that's true, then... Why would you ever want to date ever again? Because how would you ever know? Maybe someone would want to use you for practice for six months or for two years. So I I don't think that's accurate. I, I don't know the dude, obviously, but 
I, I, it's not a helpful way to look at things. Right. Um, so you're also saying that he's a hypocrite and he has a lot of lies. Now, I talk with a lot of people about this conclusion as well. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't lie. I'm not saying he's a good person. But I'm saying the story you tell yourself about this event will de- and the stories you've already, because t- I'm guessing you've told yourself similar stories in the past and probably going back to childhood experiences that were familial, not romantic, that people lie, they're hypocrites, and maybe people were hypocrites in lying when you were younger. That actually might be a thing. Right. But to tell yourself that story about this person today is incredibly destructive to you. Because he, from your description, because you didn't, I didn't hear any lying. Did you hear any lying from this guy? No. Yeah. I didn't hear any, I didn't hear any hypocrisy. What I heard was a fella who you met who had very strong feelings for you in the beginning. And then for whatever reason, did not have strong feelings for you. That happens. Yeah. That happens to everybody. It's probably happened to you, Colin, where you have liked someone and then one day did not like that person and then had the really tough uh, decision and job to do of actually informing the other person that you're not into him anymore. That happens every day, every minute, every second, someone around the world is waking up in that day and saying, you know what? I don't think I'm into this anymore. Right. And what people will say is like, well, you lied to me. Well, it's like the old saying goes, all's fair in love and war. Yeah. And we all know what war is, but in love, it's like we're saying, look, um, you can't hold me accountable for things that I said because love changes and yeah. preference change. So, or you can, meaning be upset at him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. So that's the thing. You yeah. can be upset. You can be like, I don't like the way that you suddenly changed your yeah. mind. I, that bothers me, but you can't call him a liar because he's actually telling you the truth. In all likelihood, those first two dates, he was being very truthful. It's hard to, yeah. it's hard to fake a passion and yeah. soulmate, a, a mutual soulmate communication, staring into each other's eyes and holding each other and saying, I think we might be soulmates. Like it's, you can't fake that. Now, there could have been a part of him that he wasn't talking about where he might've been thinking about that ex-boyfriend or he might've been thinking, well, I don't know if I'm really into a long-term relationship, but boy, does this feel good? There's a lot of things he might not have been telling you. And I guess you could be upset about that, but I, I really warn you against that, that uh, narrative, not again, again, not to defend the dude, right? You can hate the dude. <laughs> he, can, he might be a jerk, but I really worry about the story you tell yourself because it, let's just try on a different narrative, the narrative that I'm kind of laying out, which is, and we decide our narratives because there's no, there's right. so many different stories we could tell ourselves about. One story could be he's a liar, he's a hypocrite, he's just using you for practice, and therefore I'm never going to date again. Another narrative that I'll just throw out there is, wow, that fucking hurt, and boy, that was horrible. <laughs> But man, did it feel good for those for that time when uh, it it was working? Yeah, and we shared something, and f- I, for some reason, <laughs> the dude changed his mind, 
And such is the mystery of love. Absolutely. And there's another variant of it, which is, wow, those are some two great days, but man, I dodged a bullet because I thought here I was like convinced that things were one way and I was ready to like just devote my entire attention and whew, imagine if I had kept going deeper and deeper and, and then he pulls the rug out of under me in, in a year or so. Like that would have been devastating, way more devastating. So I, I probably got lucky here and I need to be a little more discerning maybe next time or a little more like wait a little longer before I dive in the deep end of things or something like that. You know, I hadn't the, even thought about that. Yeah. Colin, you definitely dodged a bullet because if this guy is that sort of person right. or wasn't into you enough. What a wonderful gift he gave you by telling you so soon. Yeah. What if it was three years into this shit? Yeah. Like go watch, think of movies you've gone and paid money for in the theater. And you're like, who approved this garbage? Why am I spending my money? And you know what? It would have been so much better if someone cut that early before they even finished the movie. (laughs) I, I also remember personally a story. I think I've told this in the podcast one time. Uh, I probably told every single story about my life at least once or twice in the bodies. But, you know, one time I had met this girl at a club and I thought in my mind, I'm like, man, we're having a great conversation here. I'm like, real. And she was really pretty. I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, we're really making a connection. And she was leaving or I was leaving or one of us was leaving. And so there was going to be some other club, but we weren't sure if we were going to be, be there. And I asked for her number and she gave me her number. So I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Okay. Night goes on. I go to this other place, blah, blah. At the end of the night, I end up at someone's house. And then she's there or she arrives or something. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then while we're there, I like text her a couple times. I'm like, hey, I can't believe I forget what I said, whatever. All right. That's the end of that story from my perspective. And then what I hear next, I don't know if it's that same night or the next day or something. I hear from our mutual friends. They're like, Hey, so you kind of really creeped out that girl. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. She was like really creeped out. Cause like you were sending her messages in the same room, but like on the phone. I'm like, huh? Well, I was just, I was just trying to like, what, what do you mean? Like, and I was just so puzzled. I'm like, I thought we were getting along great. What did I do wrong? I just sent her a message. Like, why was that creepy? Like, and I could have made up in any number of stories, right? Uh, And I guess I'm a little lucky in my inner psychology that none of the stories I made up in the moment ended up being about how horrible of a person I am. It was more about like, well, I did do things like, well, I've, I guess I probably should be more cautious when I send text messages to someone I just met. I thought that, but then I also thought, man, and and now I actually would think something different. But at the time I thought, man, there's something wrong with her. And by the way, my, my more modulated thing nowadays would be like, oh, I wonder what tr- what trauma she's gone through. Because like something might have triggered her or, well, her or something like that. Yeah. And I'm guessing you also can think about this is as a woman, maybe she felt like she had to go along with it or something. I, I wouldn't have then. I definitely would now. Right. Yeah. So uh, right now. Even though you did draw a conclusion, like, well, I think there's something wrong with that woman. Like, it uh, hurt, though. Like, face to face, she was super cool. Super cool. But clearly, she had some weird thing going on behind the scenes where she was not not only not into it, but, like, really not into it. Creeped out, yeah. And... 
that's weird. But you didn't generalize that to all women. No, even though it hurt. I, I mean, I obviously was like, oh, that sucks. I was pretty like right. bummed about it. Like, right. That sucks. Now with other things, you would have generalized to mm-hmm. all people because of your vulnerabilities. That's right. I get, I'm guessing Colin has, there's something about his vulnerabilities that's uh, pushing him in that direction. I'm guessing a direction that he actually was experiencing at some point where he was being lied to, where there was a hypocrite in his life, where he was being ghosted, where he was being, used Mm -hmm. and mistreated in a, in a way. And so it's, when you have those traumas, it is totally normal that when you are rejected for your soul to go there and to feel that uh, as an, just as it's, it's a visceral thing. It's not a cog. It's not a choice that we make when a, Afghanistan war veteran comes back to the United States and hears a firework, boom, go off. And he has a super visceral terror in his body and his distress goes from zero to 10 in the span of a half a second. And he's sweating and his partner says, are you okay? And he's, he's like, get the fuck away from me. Right. And, and he, and he, he's panicking. He doesn't know what to do. And he feels like shit, and and it, that lasts for a day. He doesn't have a choice in that matter. Right. Well, when we go through relational traumas, and those are triggered later in life by being rejected or dumped or whatever, then our body goes back there, and it's just going to do that. And so I I feel for you, Colin. I and I I hope that you're taking everything I'm saying. Uh, with that in mind, it's also kind of weird because you're not here to have a back and forth because you might be like, well, yeah, or, well, you don't really know the full situation because he did, do, yeah. you know, so there's a lot of things. I, I often get emails like that when I respond to emails. They'll be like, okay, I, I appreciated half of everything you said, but the rest of it doesn't pertain because I didn't tell you the full story. Right. Let me, you know, and I'm right, like, right. so I, you know, I, I understand there's cool. probably some other things. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you also said, uh, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, I, I guess you're not supposed to uh, send flowers to people when you want to send flowers. You're not supposed to do romantic things for people. Maybe we should just, quote unquote, play games. Again, just a classic statement from someone who is being triggered by their traumas. Yeah. I hear that hypocrite, lie, uh, play. I just need to play games. Kids, people these days, they do that. Right. You know, very classic sorts of things that people say it you don't need to play games that is not the conclusion um the when you find the person that has that as a good fit for you then it will just be a good fit and you won't have to play any games now if you want to sustain a relationship who's not really made for you then yeah you might have to play games like maybe you sound calling like a very romantic person the person that you are fit to be with is also a very romantic person or someone who receives romance very well. You are not a very good match with someone who isn't into that sort of thing. So if if by playing games you have to turn off that romantic side of yourself, that is not a real match. That's a fake match, right? And yeah, you might be able to get a little bit more dates out of the person, but it's not real. You know, you, Everything you're saying about yourself is, is totally fine. So... I, I actually would also 
I, I wouldn't take exactly a, a different angle than what you just said. It's just that, because I wouldn't call it games. Uh, but I might call it games in a broader sense. Um, you cannot get a job without playing a certain kind of game. You cannot live in a family without playing a certain kind of game. So if the, if the word games gives it this nefarious sound, then I'll just use a different term, which is there are certain expectations in society, in, in civil society, as well as in relationships. And whenever someone goes beyond those expectations, it can feel off-putting to people. And that's just a universal. I don't agree. I mean, yes, I agree, obviously. But I don't agree that that applies to romantic uh, people coming together. For the things that he's saying, uh, things that he likes to do, is he likes to send sonnets. He likes to call a lot, I'm guessing. He likes to talk about, he likes to joke around in his awkward way, as he says, about soulmating someone, I think he said. I think I'm soulmating you, I think he said. For some people, that is totally weird to them. But for some people, that is right up their alley. So I I really want to caution. Now, when you are applying for a job, it's not, uh, it it is sort of a game. You sit down, you try to, you don't, even though you feel like a fraud, you don't want to say that you're a fraud. (laughs) Even though you don't really feel that confident about yourself uh, to to do the job, you don't want to say that. So you have to play a game. But when it comes to romance, I actually don't think that that's true. And I, and I, I really wish people wouldn't draw that conclusion. Well, I'm, I'm going to challenge you on that because I feel like you're coming from a point of privilege in the following way. I think you're the kind of individual that naturally balances yourself fairly well with others, meaning that your more, more extreme pieces of your personality don't always come out to play right away just because they're part of your personality. And as a result... Extreme they, like what? Like what would be an example of someone else having an extreme... Well, so here, let me give you a couple of really ridiculous sounding extreme examples. Um, you live in... Let's say you live in, a, in your family house. Not forget romantic entanglements. You're a male teenager living in your family house. And you get urges to masturbate. And you're like, I should be able to masturbate. And you just masturbate around the whole house. No, no, no. Wait, I, well, I know, use it's romance. It's extreme. But wait... There's more because the the thing is, you, you, sure, you can make an argument. Well, if my family loves me, they should. No, no, no. None of that. Like we have to live to be able to give get me, along. Give me right? a, a, a reasonable thing where a person dating would have to not reveal themselves as they really are in order to. OK, this is just that as they really are assumes that you really know who you are and you're a balanced individual in who you really are already. So as an example. When I was in college, I was, I really liked this person and I thought, wow, I have a great idea for Valentine's. So I went over to her college and overnight while everyone was sleeping, I plastered hearts with her initials, big red hearts that I had cut out like a foot long each all over her dorm and all over campus. There were, there were like a couple of hundred of these things everywhere. All right. In my mind, I'm like. Has there ever been a more romantic gesture? How many hearts? I have probably like 200 hearts. <laughs> her Everywhere. college campus. In her college campus. Yeah. Yeah. She was freaked the fuck out. Yeah. And her friends were like, oh my God, that's scary. Okay. You need so, to be done with this person. Okay. So I like what you're saying uh, in terms of 
my privilege. You've never accused me <laughs> of <laughs> privilege of not recognizing my privilege, but uh, I get that. Um, and at first I was like, what? But then you said that for some people, they don't even know who they are per se, yeah. which I totally get. And, and that is it. That is an issue. If, if you don't know who you are and you don't know how you feel, it's really hard to interface romantically because in order to to interface romantically is a very delicate thing. And you have to know yourself and be able to enact yourself and your needs and also uh, notice other people's needs. So I'm really glad you brought up this example because I think it absolutely pertains to Colin and this yours is actually more extreme. Right. Absolutely. In that the narrative or the conclusion from that is not, you have to edit who you are. The conclusion is you have to think about other people's fucking feelings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, she she wanted you to be romantic with her. Right. She wanted you to love her. She wanted she wanted you. Right. She wakes up in the morning and she's like, "Are those my initials?" Like, "Oh, that's funny." And then she starts seeing them everywhere and now everyone's looking at these things. Right. Hundreds of college people <laughs> are going what the fuck are all these hearts doing around? And then she's walking around and she's, she's not an extroverted person. She's walking around going, um, Oh my God. Like she's probably terrified that you're going to jump out of a, like a helicopter with like a thousand of these hearts. Oh my God. And she's, she's so worried because of public humiliation. Right. Now, if you would put all 200 of those hearts, like, in her own apartment or <laughs> just in her dorm hall. Sure. But you plaster them all over the university. Right. And because, by the way, in my defense, I grew up on a steady dose of grand gestures are the way to romance. Sure. <laughs> but you also grew up with a steady dose of not thinking about other people's That's fair. feelings. That's fair. And in that moment, you didn't, you I thought, didn't think, right. you thought, I would love this. Right. You thought if this happened to me, I would cope with this okay. But you didn't think, and if you had for half a second, well, I know enough about her that I don't think she's going to react to this. I know she wants me to be romantic. I know she wants me to love her. I don't know how she's going to feel if hundreds, if not thousands of other college students are witnessing this vandalism, essentially. Um, I don't know how she's going to react to that. And I think to Colin, it's a similar thing. Again, I don't know because I'm not there. He's just, it's just a monologue that he gave us. But I suspect that it's a similar thing that given from, from Colin's perspective, it was like, I was just being, I was being cutesy and I was being reciprocal. And yeah, I was, I was being a little, uh, I was pouring, I was pouring it on a little thick with him, but I, I wasn't being that bad. And it was being reciprocated for the most part. So I thought I was totally in the zone. And again, that could be true, but given where his narrative went after being yeah. dumped, I suspect that Colin has some, some hostility in him or some, some worry specifically, yeah. some anxiety about losing people that is, related to his relational traumas growing up. And it's, 
it 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 hurts but and so as he goes into a relationship whether he's conscious of it or not he has that intensity of like oh my god what if this person rejects me yep and i'm in love with this person i think uh so the love is real but i'm also terrified yeah. and i bet i given his description because i've listened to his his recording at least three times now there's a there's a turning point in there where again when he started sending the um or when he sent the sonnet, I wonder, Colin, if you were actually trying to s- say something beyond just romance with those communications at that point, that you might have been subtly saying to this fella, hey, you're neglecting me. Some mm-hmm. kind of message around that or some kind of message around like, you're not responding to me fast enough or I feel distant from you. Mm-hmm. And I'm scared, you know, so, some kind of intensity around that. Because the the way you describe him describing the way why he broke up with you, it sounds like, again, it's hard to know, but there are some signs that he actually detected in you that fear and that intensity around not just you loving him, which he is, which it seems like he, he liked, but uh, an intensity around pressure and anxiety from you that he 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 became very scared of yeah he detected this oh god i think this guy not only loves me but he like needs me needs me he's he's already dependent on me he 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 expects a lot of this already and i don't know if i have that to give and given my past you know or whatever this guy's thinking I should probably pull the plug right now because if I don't, I'm really going to break this guy's heart. Yeah. Uh, so again, totally hard to say, but I would call in, I would look into your own, um, your own emotions around that. So, so I'd, I'd rewind the tape back and you're in that zone where you're around the time when you're about to send that, that sonnet, you know, that, that time zone. Think about what, it, what you're, what you were feeling, what emotions you were feeling at the time. If everything was clear and you were just totally blissful and romantic and you didn't have any expectations and you were just totally cool, then that's one thing. Then it's just like, well, then you just got dumped by someone who just changed their mind, which is awful and just, you know, can change your life on some level. But there's a chance that if you really investigate and dig down deep during that time, you could have been feeling like some, some pretty intense worry Maybe and that could have transformed into some anger, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of like, "Hey, uh, I thought we had a thing going, and you're not getting back to me, so I'm going to send you this thing. I'm going to I'm going to ramp this up. You know, I'm I'm going to send him right. a sonnet. A sonnet. That's not just a poem. Have you ever tried to write a sonnet? What's the definition of a sonnet? Well, I I remember writing a sonnet in high school, so I could be completely bastardizing this, but it's it's um. I think it's 10 beats per line, if I'm remembering right. And it has kind of a da 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 And it, I think it's eight lines. It's, it's, a, it's a long, dense poem. I see. Um, I'm probably wrong about that. I, I've never consciously written a sonnet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's not just like a casual poem. It has, sure. like a, it has a very old structure to it. But anyway, um, so... That's what I would look at, Colin. Again, no idea, but um, hope hope to hear from you again. And we're and, very sorry. 
yeah, it's it's awful. We all know what it feels like to be dumped. Yeah, it's you're in a grief process, and part of that grief process might involve getting really angry and having some uh, distorted narratives for a while. That's yeah. not unusual, but you want to land on something that's more helpful to you. Yeah. And also, if you have been traumatized in the past, I really, really hope you're getting help with that. And I really hope that you're getting support now about being dumped by this guy or whenever this happened because you deserve it. Right, Bruno? You definitely deserve it. All right. Let's take a break. and we get back, let's hear about this Bogota story. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, Berto. So if someone from Bogota were to ask people to become patrons of the podcast, what would they say? They would say something like, Escúchame, tengo una oferta grande, grande, grande. Este domingo, tú tienes que ingresar a la página de Patreon y tienes que dar mucha plática para el podcast de Psicología en Seattle. Esta vez... Otra vez, el domingo, oferta grande, grande, grande. So, tell us a story about Bogota in English, please. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, I was just in Colombia. Again, this better be fucking good. Oh, this is the best story you've never heard. Uh, I was just in Colombia, and you may recall when, we, when you were there last year and we went out. Um, remember we went to one club that then in the middle of the club time, you and my cousin Sergio... Slinked out and went to the casino. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, we had the best time. Right. Too. And then I joined up for a little bit. We yeah. took some pictures. Yeah. Okay. So I get invited out to uh, a casino. Like, and I'm like, okay. So I show up in an Uber and I get out and I am like, okay. And I walk in. Was it in that neighborhood? Well, I didn't piece it together, but I walk in and I'm like, this looks really familiar. Yeah. And it was the same freaking casino. <laughs> so, so this neighborhood is like the club neighborhood of Bogota. Yeah. And one, well, to be fair, there's many, but this is one of the premier ones. Yeah. Yeah. I find that this is actually true in a lot of cities outside of the United States where they neighborhoods will specialize yep. like hardcore. Yep. Like I, I've heard about in Korea, for example, there will be a block where all they uh, – where they'll have like hundreds of – shops selling pants <laughs> like that's it's the pants it's district. The, it's the pants block <laughs> and uh, i find that in the united states everything's spread out like we have certain neighborhoods right. kind of but even like pioneer square which is like our bar district you could say downtown yeah. seattle it's like bar art art gallery random business nothing, random nothing, business nothing. random business yeah. ran, bar right. you know it's probably it's like that anyway so we in Bogota, we get to this zone, and I went walking around like a few times. Right. I was just blown away. Yeah. Every club was different, too. Right. Like you had your super dancey clubs, then you had your live music clubs, then you had your like chill, yeah. like um, cafe, but with live music club. Yeah. And then they had casino, casino, <laughs> casino. And it was quite a neighborhood. Yep. It's That's pretty, the neighborhood. It's pretty cool. That's the neighborhood. So I get out of the Uber, but I don't piece it together until I walk into the casino and I'm like, wait a minute. I've been here before because I recognize the two entrances and I see, I'm like, oh my God. That's like the table they were at. And there's a band like up to the left. Yeah. And I'm like, damn it. 
This is the place we're at. And I'm like, but where are all my friends? And I look around and then not, not like I don't see him at all. So it turns out they, first of all, they were, they told me to meet at the casino, but they weren't in the casino. You had to go out the second door and then there was like this little outside area that was actually technically part of a different business, but it was like connected to the casino somehow. So I'm like, all right. So I go out that way and now I'm like, all right, here we go. But I also only know one person. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm like introducing myself and it's a party like they just came from another party. Okay. And my friend warns me is like, listen, these people are kind of boring. So like, we're not like, this is not fun. So we got to try to liven up the mood. And I'm like, oh, you're talking to the right person. We're going to liven up the mood. So I sit down and I pull out all my tricks, Kirk, all my tricks and everything is not working. <laughs> What'd you try? I mean, I was just like, you just, you know, how's everyone doing? Oh my God. How was the party? Really? It wasn't working out. Blah, blah. And I'm just like trying to pull information, pull information. How many and, of them are there? Uh, one, two, three, four, and my friends. So it's five of them and one of me. Are they drinking? They're not. They're drinking like tea and stuff. And I'm like, well, did you drink at the party? They're like, no, tonight was kind of a dry night for us. I'm like, okay, okay, that's, that's cool, that's cool. At what point did you think, I don't think this is ever going to work? I, I Probably like 10 minutes in, I was like, man. Because by then, like, I'd ordered a drink, and like, and I offered to buy. Like, you guys, you guys want some? I'll, I'll get this round. Like, no, no, thank you. Like, we're, we're really taking it easy. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. So what do you guys do? Oh, uh, we just work. I'm like... Like nothing, nothing. And it's like, and it's not like I am, you know, it's one thing if they're having fun among themselves and then I'm like trying to intrude, but they're like not talking among themselves either. Like they're not having fun. And this is bothering me because it's like late, late. It's like 2 a.m. in the morning. And your friend tasked you with. Yes. Like livening them up. So the two of us are having fun. These people are not having fun. All right, whatever. Why are you even hanging out with these people? Because what I'm waiting for is my friend says, and I don't know if I believe at this point, but that these two musicians from a Beatles cover band, not even cover, one of those Beatles, what do you call them? Tribute. Uh, tribute bands that is from Argentina has just played a concert that night, which by the way, I tried to get tickets for and I couldn't. So I just want to pause you right yeah. now because I think we went over text about this. A, a few years ago, mm-hmm. I went down a random rabbit hole of this Argentinian uh, Beatles tribute band uh-huh. who played almost every, they played deep cuts. <laughs> uh, some of my favorite ones, like it, I don't want to spoil the party. So, and they, it's four guys and they play all the instruments yep. and they sing all the songs. They sing all the harmonies. They're really good at it. They're young. They look like they're, I don't know, twenties, early thirties. And, they don't dress up like the Beatles or anything. And the one thing that they don't get quite right is they don't speak English. They don't speak English. So they're the way when they sing the English words, you can tell some of the words aren't quite right. That's the only difference. And I actually emailed them okay. and asked them, are they coming to the United States ever? Because yeah. they tour in, in that in a region often. And I guess there's a slight chance that we weren't talking about the same band. Well, I wonder, so they, they may or may not be. So right now, when they were playing, they were dressing like the Beatles. Oh, okay. So I don't know if they started or if these are different guys. Were they younger guys? They're younger, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I bet you anything, because 
How many, like... How many... I mean, Argentina is a huge country. And the were Beatles they really good? Yeah, I mean, they were touring, and it's not their first tour. Right. Like, they've come no, to no, Colombia I bet you, before. I bet you anything it's the okay. same band. And, and so I actually went back and forth with them for a while, and they were, like, blown away that this gringo in the United States oh was, like, interested in them. You know, they're like, how did you... So it's a very small world, then, because... Yeah. because Do you know the name of the band? I want to look it up, actually. Uh, yeah, The Shouts. The, the Shouts. Okay. That'd be pretty weird if... Um, but so I'm sitting there with the lure that some or all of the members of this band are going to swing by and I'm asking my friend, I'm like, wait a minute, do you know them? Like, why are they going to swing by here? And it's like, no, I don't know them, but like I tweeted them or something like that. And I'm like, they're not going to swing by like. People don't just swing by just because you send them a tweet. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, no. These are... This are is, these different people? These guys actually dress up. Yeah, these people dress up. They have, like, wigs on and everything. Yeah, and they play the real instruments. Well, no, well. wait. Maybe it is them. Maybe they Maybe they just got into this more, more later or something. It, it's quite possible, dude, because, like, it, it seems pretty odd that they... Well, anyways. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm sitting there waiting, hoping, but not really believing that this is going to happen, because I, I'm, I'm like... Just because you tweeted them doesn't mean they're going to show up. And like, no, I think they might show up. Okay. So all of a sudden, right about as when the the four boring friends are about to leave, um, like these two dudes come up, like start walking up. Um, and, I'll, and I'm like, and, and then my friend's like, that's them. I'm like, really? And like, they come up and sure enough, it's not all of them, but it's the bassist. And actually... I thought it might have been the guy who played John, but no, it's their keyboard slash all the sound effects person. So the bassist who sings a lot of the Paul McCartney and plays the Hoffner bass and dresses up like Paul and all these things. And they're essentially organist slash uh, harpsichordist slash pianist slash special effects slash sound effects, everything, you know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I'd always seen clips because my friend had shown me clips online and stuff. So I was like totally fan fanboying. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. And we started talking about the Beatles. I showed him pictures of my little studio. I showed him the book I have that has all the little, like detailed recording information. Um, so we, we were totally geeking out. Two of the friends that were boring stayed because I guess this was interesting enough for them. Did you tell them that you bought uh, remake preamps? And, yes, I told them. And, I told them, yes. And microphones. <laughs> I was trying to show off as much as I could. Uh-huh. Um and then that's when we filmed a little, because I'm like, okay, I have a special favor. Can we sing like part of a Beatles song and send it to my friend who's a huge like Beatles nut too? And that's when we sent you that little clip. <laughs> uh, so it tur- like, so that turned out awesome, right? Uh, two of the boring friends left. And although when they were leaving, one of the boring friends, actually the cutest girl of the boring, boring friends, like all of a sudden starts talking to me and asking me all these questions. And now she's like smiling and being friendly. But right as she's leaving, I'm like, where was this personality earlier? What the hell? All right. So then we're left with the two kind of also boring people and my friend and then the two guys. And then those two finally bailed, the two boring ones. They finally bailed. Now they were, we're getting kicked out. We're like, we're being left in here way past their closing time. It's now like close to 3 a.m. in the morning. No one else is there. The doors have closed. Like we're still there. And finally, like the lights start flashing and we're like, all right, we got to. I'm surprised because when we were in that neighborhood, I remember saying, I got to go, man. It's late. And I actually kind of dragged you out at 
like four or five in the morning or something. Well, there's different, yeah, different places stay up. This place in particular was like 3 a.m. was like their cutoff. And so, so the other clubs were still open. There were still other things, and the casino oh. was still open. Oh, yeah, just this part. So we get kicked out, but not kicked out. Like they were really nice to us, but we just finally have to leave. And so now it's the two dudes, me and my friend, and we're like, "All right, what do we do next?" It's like three a.m. in the morning. So uh, we ask around, and there's this after-hours place, and I'm like, "Oh, that sounds pretty cool." But dude, talk about sketchy. Like, think about it. It's like 3 a.m. in the morning, Bogota, in this, like, party neighborhood. But we go up, and from the outside... Why do you need an after-hours place? There's still places open, right? Well, I, I don't know. I guess in this area, this was at the point where you had to know where the places were. So we go up to this building, and there's uh, black bars in the front and a door that swings open. And there's, like, a dude, you know, asking intimidating questions. and Like what? Like, what are you guys doing? Like, what do you want to do here? And you're like, well, we just want to dance a little while. Okay, are you going to spend money? I'm like, yeah. Are you going to buy a bottle? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Like, really trying to ascertain what your motives are. (laughs) And so then we have to have a chaperone that has to let us in through the thing and then take us up this very winding, very tight fire hazard staircase up to this very confined, dark dance area full of smoke and not like fun smoke, like cigarette smoke. And I'm getting a little worried. I'm like, all right, this is like a hostile situation or something. So we get up there and yeah, there's music playing, which by the way is all um, reggaeton, you know. No, no, no. Don't. And then we first, they give us, they take us to this little private booth, private booth, right? Well, first of all, it's, it's stupid because it's like removed from the dance floor and they have loudspeakers right there that are booming so loud that it's impossible to even think, let alone talk or anything. So we're like, no, 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 we don't want to be here. So they take us to another side, which is actually on the dance floor, just one table removed from the dance floor. And then we sit there. And then they bring. They, you know, Are you they, worried about how much this this is going to cost? Well, I am, but I'm more worried about like the kind of people that might be here because just beyond us, in fact, we keep getting in the way of all these people going in and out of this room in the back. That we see the door open, and through there you see a, a whole bunch of people, you know, bent over a table, looking, you know, like sniffing stuff, and then very like just a lot of colorful characters coming in and out, and we're like, okay, all right. Then to the uh, down the hallway, you see a room with like some beds, and like you see some people like heading down there, and we're like, what the fuck is this? A room with beds, beds with beds, yeah, wow. and, and they're like colorful red plushy beds and stuff. We're like, okay. When was the last time we saw that? Uh, <laughs> uh, Vancouver? <laughs> no, the wet spot. The, oh right, yeah, wet spot. The, the, we went to it. One of oh our very gosh. first episodes of the podcast, we went to a sex club in yep. Seattle. <laughs> So I don't know if this was exactly the same, but it had beds. So we're sitting there and the lady comes over and asks us what we want. And uh, So I just want to pause you. So one time in Vegas, Berto, we're uh, we're at this – we saw Love, the Cirque du Soleil. And we're there with some friends and we end up going to this club. And Vegas clubs are are, – 
hard to predict exactly what's happening in them sometimes because they have yeah. different kind of rules. And in this in this club that we were in, we couldn't sit down without paying for a bottle service. Right. That that's their trick is, and it wasn't really a dance club. It was more just kind of like a fancy bar. Yeah, and uh. Some at some point, Umberto says, "Yeah, I'll do bottle service." Right, and so I'm thinking, "Oh, that's cool." Berto bought us a table. Right, <laughs> how great! How great of Berto to have bought us bottle service, and so uh, we can all sit. And in my mind, I'm thinking, at no, that's very generous. At, at no, <laughs> at no moment in my head did I think I'm going to have to pay for this. The next morning, Umberto says, uh, "You owe me." X amount a lot of, of money. X amount of hundreds of dollars. And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? You're like, well, you know, that thing, it costs that much. And, and I'm like, I'm not paying for that. I didn't, I have, I don't, because at the time, because uh, that happened another time with. That happened in Vancouver. Yeah, with, yeah. with a different friend. Yeah. Those are the two times that I've ever had <laughs> bottle service. I don't, right. I don't even know the culture around that. I don't get it. Right. I would never agree to it because it. Hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I, just, I would just go to a different place. You where, also caught me at a post Bardo pays for everything time. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, uh, well, and I remember you telling me, you know, the bill was so high. You were just yeah. like, I can't, I can't. Yeah, this is not going to work for yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> like even if, even if you're right that yeah, y- you shouldn't it was pay. So expensive. Yeah. I, I can't. I cannot possibly pay this entire <laughs> bill by myself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, so you're sitting there. I'm sitting there, and and you, you know, let's be honest here, are the gringo who has the gringo probably hundreds of times more money than the people you're with. And my exchange rate is beautiful. And the people you're with, you and you've already exhibited. I'll buy everyone's drinks. Yeah. Well, with the boring people, I didn't technically buy the. Oh I'm, no! I did buy around. No, I did buy around for the for the for the musicians. Right. So yeah. you are uh, money bags, right. Mr. Out of Town Seattle money bags. Like in in a real way, yeah. right? Like it. Like you might have been by far the richest person in that room. Right. You know what I mean? Except and, for the drug dealers. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you sit down at this mystery table, which yeah. you know is going to cost money. And I never sat because I was actually a little worried about the catching stuff. But anyways, yes, I was sitting there. Are you agreed? We're standing there. What do you mean? So so they <laughs> gave you a table and you didn't sit because you didn't want to get a disease? Well, I, I, no, I mean, I didn't sit because like... I didn't want to touch the couch surface because <laughs> I don't know what who sat there. What's but you happened. had a you had a region where it's dark. Like this isn't like this bright room. It's dark and so yeah. So grungy. Uh, so, so what I'm hoping is that this doesn't go into a massive uh, debt situation. No, 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 no. But I did. So I yes, I I did tell the lady. I'm like, all right. Well, we're gonna get a bottle of aguardiente. Which, by the way. As drinks go, that's on the cheaper side, so it could have been worse. You know, we could have gotten a bottle of whiskey of some sort. So I would. That's the trick: is they 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 give you a twenty dollar bottle of alcohol, but they charge you five hundred dollars for it. Fair enough. They, I'm I'm sure they charge a lot more than it was worth. Uh, But the lady was really nice. They bring it over, and then I get a little worried because she does it. She's explaining something to me, and it's really loud, and she's speaking very fast, and it's something like, if you pay with cash. Blah, 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 blah. But if you pay with credit, blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't, I'll pay with credit. It's like, okay, well then follow me. And I'm like, 
Okay. And so then, like, I have to follow her all the way back to like the bar. And at the bar, there's all these people like looking at this transaction. And it's really weird. So I have to like take out my card and I'm thinking, wait, is this where I get like jumped and they steal all my money and they take my kidneys? Or is this just like, and then, you know, sure enough, I paid and nothing bad happened. But it was really weird. Like there were three people staring at me during this transaction. And I'm also trying to like, I, I, I don't think I had any dollars in my wallet. I only had pesos, but I had, I had like a couple of large bills and I'm trying to like not sh- like it was just really creepy and so then I go back to the table and yes our our bottle comes and we start dancing because people it's a known thing right in some neighborhoods of Bogota that if they see someone oh, yeah. with a lot of money in their wallet they will try to either pickpocket you or, or even just target you or even just mug you right? dude and I just had seen a vice documentary on Burundanga which is this drug that's very popular in parts of Colombia where they all you have to do is sniff it and then basically they can manipulate you into doing anything like going to the bank taking money out all these things it's this this it, it gets in your brain immediately and you become extremely pliable by whoever's giving you this thing and they're tricking you into thinking it's cocaine no they you you just have to smell it so like they, they it's really easy to get hit so by they, this thing. they they poison you yeah, absolutely. They, they like yeah. ether you. Yeah, essentially. But and it's then, not like a thing where they have to hold. You you don't even know it's happening because they just like hold. They could, it could be like, hey, cheers. And then they hold something up where they can, you can sm- sniff it. And then all of a sudden you get intoxicated and you don't realize it apparently because you start going along with things. And then people even will say, I don't know. He came to the bank, but he seemed to know what he was doing and he took out cash. He didn't seem to be under duress. Oh my and then God. they wake up two days later in the park and they don't know what the fuck happened to all their <laughs> possessions and shit. Oh my God. Yeah, and it's a real thing. So you can watch a documentary about it. So I'm sitting there kind of like, who's going to be, I don't want to sniff nothing. Don't hold anything up again. You know? So I'm being a little paranoid, but maybe not unjustly so. Come back to the table uh, and then we start dancing. Reggaeton. You know, in this sweaty, like crowded place. Bum, and, ba-dum, bum, bum, and it's ba-dum, impossible bum, to bum. actually dance meaningfully. Because it's standing room only, and not only that, by the way, biggest fire hazard. I'm surprised we survived. But there's constant flow in and out of that room that I mentioned. So we're always having to part and wait for some asshole to walk by with like two bimbos and then come right back out and like, we're like, what the fuck is going on here? But we're still going. So now it's hitting up like 4 a.m. in the morning and I'm sitting there doing math in my head. I'm like, okay, we're trying to show these two Argentinian dudes a good time. But I'm fucking tired. And I'm scared that this is going to end up with me strapped to some bed with missing organs and like some gimp trying to do weird things, which, which is great. Don't, you know, mind you. But yeah, that's the good part. <laughs> that's the good part. But I just don't want to lose my passport or something. So that I don't carry. I wouldn't carry my passport. But anyway, so I'm finally like, all right, I'm going to have to be the lame guy that like leaves by myself early <laughs> but early is like now it's like 4 30 in the fucking morning so i you know i'm like all right guys i'm i'm taking off you guys are free to take your chances here and the argentinian guys is like oh yeah because like we're gonna go straight from here to the airport so we're just gonna party through like all right more power to you so we said our big goodbyes big hugs and then i can't actually leave i go to leave and i can't leave what do you mean i how do you leave a club when you're ready to go? 
you walk to the exit. Right? So I'm like, all right, see ya. I give all my goodbyes. And I'm like, bye. And then I go to walk. And as soon as I start walking towards where we came up, like I get intercepted by our quote unquote chaperone. And he's like, hey man, can, can I help you? What? And I'm like, well, no, it's cool. I'm just, I'm taking off. Cause like, oh, oh, where, where are you going? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just going home. It's like night's over for me, you know? Uh, oh, okay. Well, because you guys just ordered a bottle, right? I'm like, yeah. Because those are your friends? Yep, yeah, they're, they're staying for a little while longer. I'm just, I'm going. Oh, but okay, but I don't understand. Like, is there something wrong? I'm like, no. And now I'm getting like worried. I'm like, I just want to go home. And so finally the guy's like, all right, um, give, give me one second. And then he like goes and talks to someone. And I'm like, all right, follow me. What the fuck is going on here? So then, like, he has to chaperone me back down. Like, they don't let you leave. It's really weird and scary. And so they has to chaperone me back down these winding stairs, still crowded as fuck, people coming up, like, it's just getting started. And we finally get back down. And by the way, the, the room that you come in is, it's pitch black. Like, you can't see shit. And there's some very large-looking individuals there. So I'm, in my mind, I'm like... I guess this is where my life ends. I don't know. But finally, he like, finally lets me out the locked front gate and takes me out and offers me to help me find an Uber. And then I realize, oh, they just want more tips. I think this is what's happening. So I'm like, oh, well, thank you. And so then I, t- I tip him. And then basically, as soon as I tip him, he's gone. Never see him again. That was it. Oh. So there, there was no... So if you, what if you would have tipped him... As you were leaving. I have no idea. What have you been like, okay, let's go. I don't know. I tipped him on the way in when he like let us up, and I tipped him after he did, let me out. Did you talk with your cousins about this no. experience? Oh, yeah, uh, like afterwards? Yeah. No, not really. I didn't go into detail. Maybe they know. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah. Well, no, I did mention it to, you know, remember Tatiana and Herman? Tatiana? Yeah. So I mentioned, I'm like, so I went to one of these places, and my grandma overheard, is just like, <gasps> you can't be going to places like that. You'll end up dead. <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> How did she say that in like, Spanish? Ah, no vayas a sitios así, vas a terminar muerto. Esos cafetines de mala muerte. Allá van todos esos, esos gusanos, esos ratones, esos infestados de bla, bla, bla. Because <laughs> I'd be curious if, if some, or did you Google it? Because no. may, maybe there's some yeah. rule system. Because I thought this was going to end with them actually doing something nefarious to you. But it sounds Luckily, like, no. sounds like you just didn't know the, the protocol. I didn't know the protocol. But it was a, like, you would have been scared because the setup is freaky. Yeah. It's I w- super dark. I would have instantly turned, I would turn, right. I would have turned right yeah, around and yeah, be like, yeah. no, 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 not for me. Yeah. And the other thing that really freaked me out is the next day, I, like, I didn't hear back from my friend till like 1 p.m., which makes sense, up all night, sleep, that makes sense. But... There was a part of me that was like, because I, uh, I actually got a text message saying, hey, please let me know when you get home. And I did. I said, okay, I'm home. And then that was the last I heard till 1 p.m. So I was like, oh, I hope they're okay. Did they overcharge your credit card? No. Oh. I actually had no problems with anyone doing anything nefarious my whole trip. But man, got a little. But on the other hand, a friend of mine, while I was down there, 
not with me, but I heard, got their cell phone stolen by knife point. Where? Uh, they were going, luckily, they were coming out of the bank after having paid some money. And because otherwise they would have taken like a shit ton of their money. They're coming out of the bank. It, this is a little further south than the areas that you and I were at. So it's, it is a little more dangerous in those areas. And two Venezuelans, oh, because this is the other sad story. Just like we're here talking about the immigration at our border, there, there's been a shit ton of people that have uh, crossed the border from Venezuela. And they've gone into all the cities. And now the people there, the Colombians, talk about the Venezuelans the same way you hear people talk about the Mexicans and Central Americans. Yeah, here. I mean, we talked about this a year ago yeah. when we got back from Bogota, yeah. you and I. And because uh, in Venezuela, they are experiencing massive economic yes. disintegration. Yes, yes, yes. They're... Uh, um, in order to buy like a loaf of bread, you have to show up with like a wheelbarrow of of cash be, because yeah. inflation is so bad. The regime, the last I heard, doesn't care. It's right. just in it for the, them and the rich people and is um, behaving on a level of, of like insanity. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's treating your people bad. Yeah. And then there's like – total self-destruction yeah. of your country. Yeah, it's crazy. And so all these Venezuelans are desperately fleeing desperately fleeing yeah. into Colombia mostly, right? Cuz they yeah. they're the the biggest border to them. Well, and it's the safest border for them to cross into. Okay. Because even though they're actually crossing in pretty unsafe zones, they could go south into the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So for the or into Brazil. Yeah, for all these Venezuelans uh, and and they're some of them are were already kind of desperate anyway, right. but many of them, like my Uber driver, was from Venezuela, and he was an engineer, and his wife was an engineer, and his right. parents were like university professors or something, and he said that he uh, was he had been in Colombia for a couple of years and he hated it. Yeah. He was just like, I just want to go back home, yeah. and so and then we were talking with your dad. Yeah. who hates the government and and <laughs> thinks, you know, everyone's a joke. And he's he thinks of himself as a very progressive, uh, liberal guy. And yet. <laughs> and, then he, and then he's like, but, you know, the Venezuelans. Those fucking Venezuelans. Those Venezuelans. And, they're and all the same. They're all lazy. The, lazy criminals. <laughs> and then he, didn't, he said something like, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that I'm like the racist people, but, <laughs> but you know. They're... And I'm like, Dad, you're being the racist people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. And so, yeah, so sadly, now to affix the stereotype, uh, two Venezuelans. Yeah. And they came right up and they were like, give, give us your money. And then since the, the, there was no money at that point, it was like cell phone was the thing. Wow. And luckily there was no stabbing, so. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's safe. I got lucky and I probably shouldn't have been playing around in cafetines de mala muerte at 3 a.m. in the morning. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. And be careful about the after night clubs because <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs>